Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 198. This is Tim Maluli. And this is Tom Maluli. We're getting closer and closer each week to episode 200. We've been saying it, but we actually need to... Let's think of something special to do for number 200. We'll have some kind of special celebration. So (laughs) talking about getting closer and closer, we're getting closer and closer to our microphones too. Right. Got some uh, (laughs) new new stands here for our mics. Uh, Upgraded the setup a little bit. That's right. You know. So we get the content for these podcasts from questions that come in through a website. And they are sometimes financial planning questions, sometimes they're investment questions, sometimes they are money management questions or things about cash flow. They're great questions. And they're, if someone is writing into a website to ask questions, it means that this is really bothering them and they need some answers to it. It's also... A little disappointing to think that there's no one in these people's lives who can answer some of these questions. So we're happy to help. But it's worth mentioning that if you have a question on one of these topics or a related question, get in touch with us. Uh, We're very rarely going to be discussing specific investment advice on these podcasts. A lot of these things are general in nature, and we encourage our listeners to reach out to us if they want to get into a a topic that was covered a little deeper. Right. And these questions are usually just good springboards to get us going to talk about the question that's asked and then also leads us into bigger discussions about some underlying problems that could help prevent some of these issues as well. That's that's a good point, Tim. There's a lot of questions that come to us where what they're asking may not actually be the root issue. And sometimes it'll take us off in a little bit of a tangent, but it's worth talking about. So why don't we jump into the to the first question this week? Sure thing. The first question we have today asks, should I lower my contributions to my 401k as I near retirement? The summary says, I currently maximize my 401k contributions, including catch-up, but I am retiring with a great financial plan next year at age 55. Should I reduce my 401k contributions? My employer's match is 6%. That will give me more cash to use for the next 10 years before enrolling for Medicare. I will also delay Social Security until the age of 67. Okay. A lot to unpack there. So this person is going to be retiring next year at age 55. Right. Uh, Most people now, when you talk about retirement, they're talking about 65 or beyond. So he's raised some interesting points. At 65, you can enroll to, to receive Medicare. You can start receiving Social Security at 62. 
as people get older, like this person, his normal age for Social Security will be 67, like it will be for me. Uh, it had been 65. So there's a lot going on here. So his question is, I currently maximize my 401k contributions, including the catch-up. So I wanted to also say that Tim wasn't referring to the stuff you put on a hamburger. <laughs> so the catch-up means that once you're age 50 you, and you're in a 401k plan, the annual maximum contribution for you as a, as a, an, a participant, an employee participant, is normally $18,000 per year. But once you reach the age of 50, you can actually make contributions up to $24,000 a year as a way to kind of catch up, accelerate what you are doing um, to sock away as much as you can for retirement. So he's retiring with a great financial plan next year at age 55. Uh, my employer's match is 6%. Depending on how great this financial plan is that this person's talking about, my initial opinion is if you're going to be retiring at age 55, that's a little earlier than most people expect to retire, you're probably going to need as much money in your retirement plans as possible. So I would actually do the opposite. I would think about contributing as much as you can before you retire, because once you retire, you're not going to be able to put any more money into that 401k. Right. So let's, let's just kind of think this through. If you're contributing $24,000 like this person is to a 401k, we don't know what he's got. Right. In a 401k. We don't know if he's got a pension. We don't know what his financial situation is. Um, but if you're putting $24,000 in pre-tax to your 401k, if you uh, lower your contributions or eliminate your contributions, uh, at this point, you're going to have an additional $24,000 each year in taxable income. The whole idea with putting money away for retirement is so that the money can grow on a tax-deferred basis until you take it out at a later age. You'll have time for this money to compound, and uh, you're deferring the taxes until hopefully you're in a lower tax bracket. No one can predict where tax brackets are going to be when you decide to start taking money out of your 401k. But I would make sure that your contribution is at least 6%. The thing that is just got my ears a little pointy when I heard Tim read the question back is this person wrote in and said, by lowering my contributions, this will give me more cash to use for the next 10 years before enrolling for Medicare. So it sounds like there may be some issues with cash flow now versus retirement later. And this goes back, I mean, you... Tim, we can link to almost every single podcast that we've done where we talk about managing cash flow, manage your today's cash flow so the future you doesn't hate you in the future because you, you've messed up today. That's probably the number one underlying theme. You could answer almost every question we've ever answered on this podcast with, with that. <laughs> make sure your cash flows are in order and it's going to make your life a lot easier. And this person says they have a, a great financial plan, which, you know, they, they might. We don't know the details about that. But if they've thought it through and they did all the numbers running the number of different accounts they have, income, 401ks, planning to retire at age 55, um, then that's great. But, you know, my gut reaction is if you're 
typing this question into a website asking for some random person's opinion, it might not be as great of a financial plan as you think if you're asking for a second opinion. Hmm. Okay. I would definitely make sure that if you're going to reduce your contributions, make sure you get that employer match. Right. 6% is pretty healthy. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to the next question. Okay. The next question asks, how do I choose a good index fund to invest in and where should I buy one? The summary says, I'm 25 years old and have a decent amount of savings in a variety of different six-month and one-year CDs. I would like to move some of my savings into an index fund to get a higher return on my investments. I'm wondering what entails a good index fund and how slash where should I buy one? Oh, boy. Um, <clears throat> so, again, let's go through this. The person writes in, I'm 25 years old and have a decent amount of savings. Uh, some people think $250,000 in savings is not enough. Other people think 50 bucks is enough. Right. Everybody's definition of a decent amount of savings is going to be different. But the money is in six month and one year CDs. Great. So this is savings. So what he's trying to do is say, hey, I feel stupid with my money sitting in CDs at very low interest rates when I see the stock market going up every day. Uh, what should I do? This is one of the dangers I see in people just blindly throwing money into an index because it's some people believe that it's guaranteed money. It's not. Brendan, who's not on the podcast with us today, but Brendan talks about how uh, returns are lumpy. Or another way of putting it, as he describes, is that ketchup bottle like we had from the first question. You know, if you turn a ketchup bottle upside down and you're pounding on the bottom of it to get the ketchup out, nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. And then pfft, all of a sudden you get this big blob. That's what stock market returns are like. So it's lumpy. It doesn't come in straight lines. And I think the problem with a lot of novice investors is that they just see the stock market going up and feel that they're not making a smart decision by having their money in the bank. But what is this money really? It's savings for this person. And if you're 25 years old, odds are you still have a lot of big purchases left in your life to make. So would investing that money really be the best thing to do? If you have... if if you don't need this money for, say, buying a house or buying a car or something big, then putting it into an index fund for a long time, over that long period of time, odds are you're going to see pretty decent returns. But if you're 25 years old and you're going to need this money in the next two or three years to put a down payment on a house, I would recommend leaving it in the savings account where it is now. Right. You never know what's going to happen over that short amount of time. Good advice. And what we talk about all the time, before you begin investing, you need to put money into a savings account. Several months of your fixed expenses, at least. So three to six months as, at a minimum, so that you can make better decisions with the dollars above and beyond that. So don't bet the rent. Good right. question. Definitely. So the next question that we have here asks, 
Should I start investing in a Roth IRA at 70 years old? I love getting questions like this. (laughs) Right. The summary goes on to say, I'll be 70 and a half years old in December. I'm told I'll have to take a certain amount out of my retirement plan. I don't want the money right now. What would be the best way to invest those funds? I'm thinking about a Roth IRA. Okay. So a Roth IRA is attractive in many ways because when you put money into a Roth IRA, it's already after-tax dollars. And then the money compounds without any taxes until you take it out, including never taking it out. This money can compound for a very, very long time. But I just want to walk back what this person wrote. I'm going to be 70 and a half years old in December. So they're taking their first required minimum distribution this year from the IRA. From a traditional IRA. Right. I'm told I'll have to take a certain amount out of my retirement plan. And then they go on to say, I don't want the money right now. Well, you have to take it. (laughs) It's required. (laughs) It's a required minimum distribution. It's not a suggested minimum distribution. It's a a required minimum distribution. So you have to take it out. Your broker or bank, wherever the IRA is, can have taxes withheld for you, just like in a paycheck, so you don't have to write a check to the government, but you have to take a minimum amount out each year now going forward. So if you want to put money into a Roth IRA, there's nothing stopping you except one thing. You got to have earned income. You have to have earned income to put money into a Roth IRA. Right. Unlike a traditional IRA, there's no age really that stops you from having a Roth IRA, but you do need to have earned income to be able to have a Roth IRA account. We get the the same question at the opposite end where parents want to open up a Roth IRA for the kids. On paper, sounds like a great idea. But the problem is if the kids don't have jobs, you know, if they're five or six years old, you can't have a Roth for them. Uh, they have to have some kind of earnings. So if you have a, to this person who wrote this question, if you have a part-time job where you're making $6,000 a year, for example, you can put $5,500. Well, now, wait a minute. They're 70 years old. They right. can put $6,500 a year into a Roth. So you can put away up to 100% of your income or in this person's case, $6,500 each year, but you got to have the earned income. If you're not working, we're sorry. Right. So moving on to the next question, it asks, can I continue to contribute to my Roth IRA after my SEP IRA is set up? I am an independent contractor who is considering setting up a SEP IRA account. In the past... I have only contributed to a Roth IRA, but I would like to put more money away for retirement. I am under the income limits. Okay. So this person knows that there are income thresholds for uh, Roth IRA contributions. If you make too much money, uh, there's thresholds where you can't contribute anymore to a Roth IRA. And I believe uh, we're going to have to in the transcript, Tim, let's make sure we get the numbers right. But the ballpark numbers are if you're a single filer, it's about $110,000 a year in adjusted gross income and about $180,000 a year in modified 
adjusted gross income for uh, couples filing jointly. Right. Tim, you're going to get those numbers straight in the transcript. Yep. But, Absolutely. <clears throat> so this person is an independent contractor uh, who is under the income threshold. They can put money into a SEP IRA, and they can put a lot into a SEP IRA. I mean, they can put away, you know, depending on how the numbers break, they can put away up up to almost fifty thousand uh, dollars. And if they're under the income limits, they can still do a Roth IRA. Yep. Good question. So let's go on That's- to the next one. Um, how should I save when I'm trying to buy a home within the next five to 10 years? So the person writes in, I'm currently saving $130 into an online savings account that earns 1.3% APY, annual percentage yield, and $55 into a brokerage account that's earning currently I'm pausing because I can't believe this number. This brokerage account is currently earning 13.7% return every two weeks. Not a typo. My brokerage account has about $2,300. The savings account is about $1,400. With a time horizon of 5 to 10 years, which one would be more beneficial to save into? I'm planning on doubling or tripling my savings rate once I pay down my $7,000 in credit card debt. I'm currently earning a little over $43,000 a year. My raise this year will bump me up to 50 grand. So, let me just get this straight. Is the person asking which account would it be better to save into, the one earning 1.3% or 13.7%? Um, yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> a little sarcasm, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think the one you know, if you take thirteen point seven percent, which they're earning every two weeks, and you multiply that by twenty six weeks, you make a return of three hundred and fifty six percent on your money. That's simple interest, right? It's not compounded. Oh boy, um, this is our big sigh. Yeah, uh, I. <laughs> have my doubts about a brokerage account that's earning 13.7% uh, in a year or every two weeks. I just don't see how this is possible. Right. Um, Even if it was 13.7% a year, right. it would still be a no-brainer. Right. So here's my... Let's take take this question and just twist it a little bit. Let's just say <clears throat> he's got a savings account that's paying 1.3%, and he's got a brokerage account where last year, in the last year, he's earned 13 and change. Does that mean that he's going to earn 13 and change every year going forward? Definitely not. In fact, he should probably expect to not have that happen. Right. I mean, looking back at what we just said about the, the ketchup bottle, market returns are usually pretty lumpy. So on a year-to-year basis, it's it'd be foolish almost to expect 13.7% every year. Now, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I don't remember two years back-to-back that returned the exact same percentage return. So the odds of this repeating again in the next year are pretty slim. 
The other point that I wanted to make in this is that uh, they're also trying to pay down $7,000 in credit card debt. I'm sure that's not a 0%. Well, I'm not sure. But I hope that it's a 0% interest because um, if they're paying any kind of interest there, that's almost a guaranteed return if you were to pay that down as well. Another thing that I wanted to bring up, kind of going back to the very first question that we had, um, you know, the the savings account that they have is obviously, in their eyes, uh, returning significantly less than the brokerage account, but 1.3% isn't terrible in a savings account. And if they're trying to buy a home within five to 10 years, that's a short amount of time. Having that money that you need to buy a home with, it might not be something that's worth putting into the risky stock market. It might be better off at just loading up that savings account and getting your 1.3%. Right. That's just my two cents. So from the year 2000 through 2009, the first decade of this century, the S&P had a gain of about 0%. The only thing you got for 10 years were the dividends. You made no money in terms of price appreciation. So there have been periods of time recently where the stock market hasn't been a friend to the investor. So uh, word to the wise, if you're saving money, like Tim said, that you're planning on using in the next couple of years, five years maybe, for a down payment on a house, keep it safe. You don't want to have to worry about timing the market to get your, um, your down payment out of the house. It's such a big decision and a big payment for for people to make gambling it, you know, or putting it at risk at all is, uh, it's a big gamble. Yeah. So that's going to do it for episode number 198. Uh, thanks for listening. And, and like we said in the beginning, if you have a question or something you want us to talk about on the podcast, get in touch with us. Uh, you can find us at maluli.net. That's M U L L O O L Y.net. Or uh, give us a call, 732-223-9000. And we will see you next week on the last episode before the Big 200, number 199. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it might take you 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. And let the team know as well. And you can do this very easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you can do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go over to iTunes, search for Maluli Asset, and click subscribe. Again, it'll only take a few seconds to subscribe, and if you subscribe now, it'll really help me out a lot. Thanks again.